Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julieta Televi, and joining me this evening to take your questions are Mia Kruger from Kruger International and Mark DeToy from Oyster Catcher Investments. If you'd like to send us those questions, please SMS 41392, email us at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Uh, Mark, good evening to you. And um, I know Larry David uh, from Seinfeld and Kirby or Enthusiasm says, the statute of limitations and wishing a happy new year passes on the 7th of Jan, but I'm going to wish you a happy new year anyway. Anyway, um, and it's been a pretty good one so far for the JSE, uh, up 8%. So I almost feel like we should just take our profits and run. Um, is that largely on the back of, of NASPAS and Process's performance over the past couple of weeks? Yes. Yeah, so, um, I mean, what we've seen now is that with everybody worried about um, earnings coming in lower than expected in the US and the US interest rates um, effectively tightening the economy, People have started to look abroad to say, you know, where can we invest our money? And the one that stands out is China. So China is now going through a phase where they've re reduced their COVID-19 restrictions drastically. I mean, they were the last one to, to do that. Um, and really the, the reopening trade that everyone else has enjoyed over the last year and a half is now going to be experienced in China. Mm. And so the idea is that you should sell down your U.S. investments and buy your Chinese investments that you like. And of course, South Africa, I mean, we have some stocks that are listed that benefit directly from a Chinese recovery. So Tencent, NASPAS and Process, uh, we've got Richmond, which has also been up a lot. And then, of course, the diversified miners, because yeah. the idea is that China will stimulate and uh, use more commodities. I mean, that is the theory. Do you buy that? Um, I, I mean, I, um, my colleague, uh, uh, okay, let me just ask you that first, and then I'll get to what my colleague Anne Crotty wrote about, for example, the golden share um, that China may not, the, 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 you know, the Chinese state may now take in tech companies like Alibaba and, and Tencent, and why that actually had a positive impact on the market. But do you buy that whole um, switch from US to, to Chinese stocks? <laughs> I think that we, I mean, they were very oversold the back end of last year. Um, and so there, there was a relative trade on the cards. I think that after we've seen this rally the past, I mean, it started in November. I think post this rally, the stocks are looking um, quite stretched. And you're going to actually not, now need to see the fundamentals start to stack up to the valuation. So the annual price went from $80 to 120 Um and if it can stay at this level, then I think that the mining stocks are fairly priced. Um, but there's a risk that the actual demand doesn't come through in China like what's been expected. Mm. And then in which case the annual price will moderate and sell all the stocks. Yeah. Um, just um, to mention that Mia Krieger is hopefully joining us, um, but she's having problems with her generator. So <laughs> stage six taking us all down with it. Um, Mark, what I wanted to say about um, the comment on the, the golden share. So you had news in the last couple of days that the Chinese government would look to take um, maybe 1% or thereabouts in companies like Tencent and Alibaba. It's not quite clear yet what its intention with Tencent is. Um, and normally this would cause, you imagine, panic in a South African market if the government just swooped in and, and took a stake in a company. But this seems to have um, created a great enthusiastic spurt for these stocks. The thinking being that, you know, you, you kind of have the, the Chinese Communist Party on board rather than being a perpetual adversary. Is that why this is regarded as a positive? Um, I think that the market is looking for positive signals. And um, 
not necessarily from a fundamental point of view would I be particularly excited about government taking a stake in these stocks. Um, we did see some heavy regulation last in the last couple of years in China, so that got everyone worried about what they can do because they don't seem to worry too much about the downstream effect of, say, banning after-school schooling. You know, it wipes mm. out a whole industry mm. with the stroke of a pen, um, which obviously from an investor it makes you pretty nervous about, you know, the powers that the communist government have. Yeah. And I was Xi Jinping being re-elected and effectively being unopposed. Again, I think it just means that, you know, the price that you're willing to pay for a Chinese company must be lower than what you're willing to pay. Um, if you talk from a multiple point of view, like you pay less for a Chinese company than you would from a, for a U.S. company because your ownership rights are actually uh, more, di more diluted than in the U.S. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do believe that we have you on the line. I'm so sorry about the slight awkwardness of the communication with you this evening. Uh, so we've been talking about the switch the, um, in trades from the US uh, to look at China, which was battered, um, particularly as a result of its um, zero COVID lockdown approach. Does it make you want to rush in to in, uh, companies that are exposed to the Chinese economy or are you a bit circumspect still? Hi, Julieta. Uh, yes, apologies for the, the problems no around problem. the load sitting here with us. But uh, we've been exposed to quite a number of counters that have uh, quite a strong income stream coming from many businesses that are influenced by the Chinese opening of the economy. And uh, we'll have to see how this plays out and how sustainable the, the opening policy will be. It does seem at this stage that it is something that is, uh, that is going to keep on getting traction. We're still, it's, it's very short-lived still. But those companies and a lot of the exposure from, from, from Chinese companies have been very, very strongly sold over the last couple of years. And they have been, if you compare them in valuation to many of the, the stocks and, and companies that we follow from, from the U.S., they still do look more attractive uh, than what we've seen from the U.S., even after the strong sell-offs that we've seen. Of course, mm. we've got a diversified holding, so we've got some exposure there too. But we do think that there is opportunity in the Chinese, in Chinese exposure, and we know that the Chinese economy is one of the economies that can ramp up quite fast if everyone they put they 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 they, they uh, focus to it, and we think that still it's quite a big opportunity now in the market. I mean, Mark, you were talking about uh, diversified mining companies as potential beneficiaries. Um, there's a question that came through a little bit earlier on Exaro, and which isn't particularly diversified. Uh, admittedly, you know, it's coal and iron ore. Um, Mia, I'll stick with you, Mark. Then I'll go to you. Um, and the question is, I've been holding Exaro since June last year, and the stock has been performing exceptionally and consistently. How long can I ride this coal train? And do you think maybe China's reopening? boosts Xaro or the other uh, factors rather to consider there? Mia? The, the mining sector. Uh, the fact is that we do see quite a strong demand from China when that economy once again opens in these areas. So that has been a problem for these companies in South Africa to export their, their stock. We've seen that. We've, we've read in all the reports how badly they've been influenced. We've read from the transmit reports how, how, how bad their exports have gone over the last five years, the contraction in exports that we've actually seen over the last five years from France due to the lack of infrastructure. 
So despite all these local problems, there definitely still is the benefit of higher prices and then, of course, the fact that these companies have sold off quite substantially. So there is a benefit to it, and I think if you if you hold uh, hold a company like Zara, which is also not, uh, you know, they are moving into all different areas as well to, to complement their, their exposure to coal, even into the renewables. They were some of the, they were one of the first companies in South Africa to partner with some of the uh, community groups to expand into renewable energy in South Africa. Hmm. So if we consider all of these, they could still be a good investment. We know that the transition to the greener economy or greener energy, rather, is a very slow-moving uh, process, and there will most definitely still be benefited from coal, as, as we've also seen from Tugela. Yeah. Uh, Mark, your thoughts on Exaro? Um, because you actually... Um, so th- this person has Exaro shares, um, I mean, is there any point in selling out and swapping out? Because there are a few options open to you. So you have Exaro, you have Tungela, you've got Glencore, um, which had a really fantastic year last year, along with Exaro and Tungela, mainly because of the coal, probably. Yeah. Um, would, would you carry on holding it? Yeah, so I, I guess for me, the, I mean, we've already seen the thermal coal prices pull back quite sharply. I think the coal price out of Richards Bay is about $166 a ton, and it was trading over 200 a few months ago. So, I mean, we've already seen the coal prices pull that back and that's on the back of a, a warmer summer in Europe. And in fact, they've got higher gas storage um, now than they seasonally now than they would normally have. So there isn't as much pressure for them to, to rush out and buy expensive coal. So we do expect to see coal prices perhaps stay at these levels. Um, and then the iron ore price, which is of course the other big commodity for Exara is up to $120. Um, and again, like you are going to need to see um, the property market recover in China for that price to be sustained. So, I mean, at, at current spot prices, there's no reason to to sell your Exaro, but I think that the commodity prices might struggle to stay at these levels. Um, mm-hmm. And in your, like you say, the, you could switch it into Glencore, which also has had a very good year, but they've got more exposure to copper um, so it would depend on your view as to iron ore over mm. copper. And Mark, copper obviously benefits more from renewable kind of roller. Yeah, just on that point, and then and me, I'll get back to you. Um, we're running a story that in the FM this week. Um, people are, well, actually, Glencore itself is exceptionally bullish on the prospects for copper and says the world just doesn't get it. There's not enough being mined um, and there's going to be a huge shortfall which you could say is maybe a CEO talking his book, um, but I, I don't know if he would agree with that assessment. And if, because if you had a very good year in Glencorn, well, the last two years, 80% up essentially, you know, would you hang on or would you even buy more if that's going to be the thesis? Well, Glencore, I mean, Glencore on our numbers still has quite a lot of upside in it. I mean, the, also the copper price is up strongly this year. Um, the other thing that we like about Glencore is that they have quite a strong um, intention to return um, excess cash to shareholders. So we think that their dividend payouts will be higher going forward and they'll probably invest more in their share buyback program. And they're not necessarily out looking for new acquisitions because the problem with the new acquisitions is always a risk that you overpay and especially now when prices are high. Yeah. Um, so you know, as to whether there's gonna be a global shortage of copper it doesn't seem likely in the next couple of years because um, Anglo-Americans got their big Kilaveco expansion into copper, that, which is coming on, online now. So there's 
more copper supply coming to the market in the shorter term, sort of over the next three years. And then further than that, potentially there is uh, copper shortages, but you know, it's a bit difficult to predict that far out at this point. Okay. Um, uh, Mio, your thoughts on, on Glencore or any sort of copper-focused mining company? Mia? Fun uh, guys. I think when we think about uh, copper and Glencore for, as a proxy for, for copper with a quite a big exposure there, we'd also agree that it will be in short uh, supply. The amount of copper needed in, uh, in, in the development of, of EVs, so electric vehicles, and a lot of the renewable energy that we see is going to pick up as we see those uh, those areas of the market expand. And we are most definitely seeing a big expansion in the amount of EV sold. Uh, we know that we're also seeing a big, big, big change to renewable energy and a ramp up in that sector. So the fact is that there just isn't enough copper going around uh, to supply all of all of these projects going forward. So there will be a, a, a price increase as the demand starts rising, and Glencore will be a, benefit, a beneficiary of this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've seen uh, prices for copper estimated at $15,000 a ton. I think at the moment we're just under 8900 So, um, yeah, that, that should be beneficial for them. Let's talk about MTN, uh, which didn't have a particularly good day on the JSE today, down about 4%. Um, now they uh, face a tax fine, potentially in Ghana, which is mm, 13 billion rand. Do you think that market reaction is justified or that this is going to be like, I suppose, Nigerian tax issues that they've faced over the years, that there's argy-bargy between the two sides, between them and uh, the government of the day, and then uh, you know, a much lesser fine is settled on, essentially? This is a very difficult one to, to make a clear sort of estimate of how it's going to play out. Uh, they are saying that the government is saying that MPN has actually under under declared and paid their uh, their revenue by 30% over the 2014 to 2018 time and time frame, which is quite a big number. Mm. Uh, it seems like it's in the area of over 300 million dollars. So if this, there is any truth to it, which MPN uh, of course now uh, strongly strongly argues against. Uh, it could be difficult for them to, to pay that and will most definitely have an impact. But the fact remains that there still needs to be a, a third, another third party audit um, on these numbers, on the, the merit and the methodology used to conduct this audit. And that's the big uh, dispute NTM is, is uh, arguing against this case. So it's hard to say. We always know when there's bad news around the company in the media, and we mostly see, see an effect um, of it in the share price, especially after the, the very bad sort of fallout investors felt, you know, after some sign-off from African Bank, all of those um, negative news really impacted the sentiment for investors around these uh, around companies they hold, and they are very skittish and mm. afraid of bad news in the, in the in the media. So we'll have to see how this plays out. But unfortunately, the bad news over the short term then affects the share price, and sometimes that offers some opportunities for us as investors. Mm. Mark, do you think this is an opportunity to buy into MTN, which started off last year really well? We were all saying, wow, this is MTN, it's back to the old days. I mean, it went above 200 Rand and then just had this <laughs> retracement, as you can see on the share price graph that we've got on screen now. Um, 
and I know there's a feeling among some analysts that actually this year is going to be very, very tough for a lot of telcos. You've got things coming at you from all sides. You've got consumers under pressure. You have interest rates um, that are high. You have um, CapEx bills, which are extraordinary. And if you don't invest um, in, in, in the CapEx in these countries, then you fall behind and you lose customers and you're always sort of on a bit of a, a price war. So the margins really, I, I don't know how appealing they are to you or if, if telcos offer any sort of really appealing margins anymore. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, of the, the telcos that are listed in South Africa, we do prefer MTN. Um, but you're right, there are, there are difficulties for, um, for them in the industry. I mean, also we know now with load shedding, not all the cell phone towers have enough backup uh, back to supply. And, you know, you lose your, your um, voice revenue faster because people can't make cell phone calls, have to make WhatsApp calls, those types of things. Um, but, they, you know, they are the second largest in South Africa and they have dominant um, market shares in Nigeria and Ghana. So... I mean, they, you would expect the, the smaller players to fall away first. So there is that um, kind of tailwind for the larger listed players. Um, and yeah, I mean, relative to history, the share doesn't look expensive. So from an investment point of view, we do, we do like MTN. Okay. So it is unfortunate that because they are such big um, earners in Nigeria and Ghana that you do see them kind of um, come, come under pressure um, from the authorities because you know Ghana they've got a big uh, fiscal deficit and they you know they're looking for for money all the time mm. and so we are going to see these types of things crop up but it looks like this particular um, a penalty is pretty frivolous so I'm sure that there will be some kind of settlement it yeah. just does kind of dampen your enthusiasm for for investing in these countries. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like clockwork. You have, uh, you know, the, the, the state of the day realizes that its coffers are running dry and then thinks, hmm, okay, who are the big uh, companies with deep pockets and let's raid their kitty. Um, Mia, just on telcos in general, w w what is your sentiment towards them? So you've got MTN, Vodacom and Telcom, I suppose, are the, um, and then I guess African Rainbow Capital, which owns the stake in Rain, and now of course Rain and Telcom have called off talks. Um, do any of those appeal to you? Yes, Jessica. We know that it all comes down to these companies, to the valuations, and um, we've seen quite a strong rise in mentions that came to an abrupt end last year with MTN. Uh, the talks with 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 Telcom was would have been a big benefit for all Telcom shareholders, but now unfortunately that looks like it's going nowhere from here on. And Vodacom is a completely different type of investment due to the fact that they've been very solid in paying their dividends. So over a long term, the share price might not reflect the growth that you've seen, but you've received quite a lucrative and attractive dividend. It's really one of our strong dividend payers in the market. So really different companies when it comes to the investment case for inclusion in your portfolio and how people use it. And now I've heard many, many uh, different uh, uh, fund managers use these companies. But there are, there are loads of issues around of investing in, in, in Africa, as we've seen, as you've now mentioned, and I'm sure Mark alluded to, to problems in, with the African investments and businesses of, of MTN. Yeah. But that also is where the whole benefit sits. So if you can stick it out over the long term, it could possibly still be a good investment for you. There still is good margins on, on data. 
But that is being squeezed, and we know that so worldwide is becoming cheaper and cheaper. So how long that can happen, or that can that can rather benefit the company, it all all comes down to to, to volumes. Yeah. Okay. So in other words, it's not an easy it's not an easy pick in, in any company in the telco sector. How about banks? So the question is uh, from a regular viewer says, "Welcome back, Happy New Year. Can your panel give me their thoughts on my South African banks, please?" Uh, I think from, if I remember correctly, this um, viewer uh, tends to ask about Ned Bank quite often, Standard Bank, but uh, banks in general. Um, will this be the year of banks? Mark, what do you think? Well, I'm not sure if it will be the year of the banks because last year they had a pretty good year. Um, and to us, they still, they don't look um, expensive. I think that they are, they're going to have really nice earning, earnings print now in, in, in March in their report. Dividend yields are going to be good. They're sitting with excess capital, I guess, which, which means the dividend will probably be higher going forward. I guess the the risk with the with the banking stocks is that, you know, things in South Africa might um, uh, be worse than what's expected. Um, currently, most people have a GDP growth of around about 1% for South Africa. And with this current stage six load shedding, you know, it could be half a percent. And so that obviously dents the, your potential earnings from the banks. And the banks are... A leave it play on the mark on the South African economy, um, and then also if there are sort of small manufacturing businesses that um, can't repay their debts, there might be higher credit losses um, at the banks. But you know, having said all that, I think the banks are still very well provisioned coming out of COVID, mm. and um, they will be able to weather the storm. Um, so I definitely wouldn't be selling my South African banking exposure here. Yeah. Mia, what do you think about banks? Mark, um, I know you can't hear Mark very well, neither <laughs> vice versa. <laughs> it's a very weird, broken telephone situation we have tonight. But Mark was saying um, South African banks are well provisioned. Of course, there's worries about GDP growth halving, essentially, because of load shedding. Um, um, but he wouldn't be selling his banks. Do you, do you concur with him? Or um, if not, would you just hold banking shares? Would you actively buy them? Or do you look outside of South Africa. Um, we, we spoke to Koki Koyman in the Financial Mail last week who said there's a few international banks that have him licking his chops. Um, and he even mentioned Citibank as one of them. So I don't know if you would prefer to go for offshore banks or if you like South African banks. Yes, uh, Juliet, well, I couldn't have asked for a better opinion than for cookies in, on that, on that uh, note. But I agree. The fact is that we, we still have well-capitalized banks in South Africa and they most definitely still are uh, some of the cornerstone holdings, especially when you look at the, uh, the, the strong growth that we've seen from a company, for instance, like Capitec, uh, and even, even First Round. I mean, Absa was one of the standouts um, over the last two years or so. So the, the environment of, raising, of rising rates is, of course, beneficial to these banks because they make a higher, a higher profit on, on, on the difference between lending out and, and what they, they pay on the, on, on, as interest to, to, the, to, the, to, the, um, to the depositors. Yeah. But the offshore banks do have big uh, benefit due to the fact that they, their interest rates in actual fact really doubled from the, from the levels that we saw. Yeah. So we, we did see low trading environments um, over the last uh, shorter term after exorbitant trading that we had during COVID. And that really influenced the, the investment side of the banks or the trading side of the banks. But from a, from a pure uh, uh, interest rate perspective, 
it does look like an attractive sort of uh, time for these banks. And there are certain ones like Cookie Mansion City does look interesting offshore. Uh, but it's definitely not a basket case approach for me. Okay, all right. Well, let me get to your topics this evening. I've got about a minute and a half between the two of you. Um, Mark, what would you be going for? Yeah, so I'm picking uh, Quilted tonight. Had a very difficult year, uh, share performance year last year. Second largest wealth advisory business in the UK. Uh, share prices come under a lot of pressure because people are worried about the high inflation in the UK and people perhaps may be crimping back on their savings. But we think that, that it's um, overdone. Uh, you get a 5% dividend yield in, in rand, so you are paid to wait for a share price recovery. And uh, with the world markets, um, MSCI World Index being up, um, they are a direct beneficiary of higher assets okay. under management, currently 100 billion, 100 billion pounds. Yeah. yeah. So okay. we, like, cool, we like the stock, we think it's underpriced, and we think that your returns will be good. Okay. Mia, how about you, very quickly? Yes, I've, I've chosen capital appreciation tonight, which is a South African company that focuses on, on fintech or financial technology businesses. They're quite a big player, have about 35% of the market share when it comes to payment systems between uh, banks and retailers and banks in the hospitality sector. And they have a strong balance sheet. They have no debt and they're in a good position to capitalize on opportunities in this area. And they've also done pretty well with the opportunities mm. that they've bought over the last 10 years. Yep. So one to watch. Okay, great. Mia, thanks very much for joining us um, on the phone. Um, sorry about the, the slightly weird connection. And Mark, thanks um, to you. I'm glad to see that you have, your power is on and in full flow there. Um, and thank you for your questions. Uh, please to uh, tune in tomorrow night uh, for Stockwatch with Zanati, Mia Kruger from Kruger International, and Mark Detoy is from Oyster Catcher Investments. Have a good evening. <laughs>